You're listening to the Beach Haven Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be listening to the fifth message in our sermon series titled, Jesus on Every Page. With no further ado, our lead pastor, Bob Timms. And turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 50, the passage that we've just looked at, and we continue in our series this morning, Jesus on Every Page. We're going to great lengths to look at different uh, passages in the Old Testament and the New to get to the place where they show us that who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And today we want to do that through the life of Joseph from Genesis chapter 50. Um, it was a year ago, actually, a year ago this week, where I got an email from a, a firm that partners with churches who are in need of pastors. And in that email, there was a listing for a church I'd never heard of, Beach Haven Baptist Church. And I really just love the logo. Honestly, I, cl- I saw the logo, I was like, that is a cool logo. And so I, I clicked on it to, to look through and I started to read more about you and about your needs and your story. And I began to, to be like, man, this sounds like a place I would really love to be. So I, I started filling out the application, which took entirely too long, but I persevered. And I just, I just kept going, and so I applied. And that was in February of 2023. A month prior, a group of people was here from that search firm, learning from you, talking to you, listening to you, and learning all about who God is and what he's done in and through you. And while listening to you and talking to you, one of those search team members got a, um, a, a premonition from the Lord that he knew exactly who needed to be the pastor of your, this congregation. And that person was a friend of mine that I had met in 2010, 2011. Now he and I had not spoken for five years. I had no idea that he was working with the search firm part-time. I had had no idea that he was here with you, but he knew in that moment that he needed, that, that God was speaking to him and gave him this premonition. I know exactly who needs to be this pastor. Now you would think with that knowledge, what he would do, he would call me, right? He would email me and he'd say, man, Rob, I know we haven't spoken in five or six years, but I was just at this place and you need to apply for this job. But he didn't do that. He didn't call me. He didn't write me. He didn't do anything. But when mid-February came up and he opened up a spreadsheet that had populated with the applications for you to be your senior pastor and my name showed up, he nearly came out of his shoes because he had been given this premonition, had not reached out and here my name has come in through the process. So I had my first 15-minute interview by Zoom. I made the cut on paper and had my first interview. And I thought that that interview went pretty well. Of course, Holly called me a serial interviewer because I had had so many over the years. And I think they all go well. I mean, I'm an awesome person, right? Surely that interview went well. So I I really thought it went well. And, And my friend, as it turns out, was on that call listening. And I had no idea until that moment that he even worked for you. And I was like, dude, it's so great to hear from you. This is amazing. I can't believe how kind God is that he would let me meet you again in this process. And he said, yeah, man, it's pretty awesome. And thank you for your time. And we hung up the Zoom call. And then my friend called me. He called my cell number, which I'm 
honestly don't even know how he had because it had changed, but he, I guess he had it through the application. That's how he had it. But he called me and he said, so great job. I can't really say anything about the church. I can't really say anything about how you interviewed, but I do want you to know something that when I was there in January and I was listening to these people, the Lord put you, Rob, on my mind to be their pastor. And it was in that moment, right? It was in that moment that everything began to change for me because I had interviewed and had lots of great interviews or lots of great places. And I thought, surely the Lord's in it this time. Surely the Lord's in it. But when that happened, that what I'm going to call, what, what Jeff Ward calls a signal event, right? When that happened, my life began to totally change because I became aware that God was present in a very personal way. And I became aware that God was moving providentially in a big picture kind of way. And so everything about my life began to change in that moment because there's something very different about our demeanor and our attitudes and our behavior when we know that God is in something, right? When we know he's in something, our whole attitude and our behaviors, they begin to change. We pray more. We read our Bibles more. We talk about our experiences more with others. We start wondering, we start kind of looking around for God to be just as present and providential in other areas as he's revealed himself to be in this area. When we have those moments, when we know God is in something, we, we know that God is working, not just in this little way, but in this really, but he's moving big pieces to get things together. No part of our life is untouched in those moments. Our lives completely change when we realize that God is present with us personally, but progressing providentially. Now notice I said, when we realize that God is present personally and progressing providentially. That's when our attitude changes. That's when our behavior changes. That's when our outlook changes. It's when we realize, that is when we believe that God is doing it. Because the fact of the matter is, is that God is always present personally. He is always progressing providentially. He's, he's always doing this. But when I became aware of God's presence and when I became aware of his moving in this way, it wasn't because God had not been present or not been moving. I just became aware of it. I started to actually believe it and everything changed in my life. Literally everything changed in my life when I began to believe that. So that's a worthy thing for us to ponder this morning. How would your attitude and your outlook on your life change if you truly believed that God was always present personally and always progressing providentially in your life? How would your outlook change if you believed that God was really with you all the time, really working in every situation through a sibling rivalry that has split your family, through an act of violence that has completely altered your life's trajectory through the loss of a loved one that has caused you deep grief through an unjust act for which you have had no opportunity to respond or defend yourself through a move that you did not want to make through an injury that won't heal through an illness that will not relent through a prejudice that you've experienced through a mundane job that does not recognize your gifts or your talents through that awesome opportunity that you in no way deserved but got to experience through that long and difficult reconciliation that has weighed 
weighed heavily on you for a long time, how would your attitude and your outlook on your life change if you believed through all of those things God was with you personally and progressing providentially? One of the places to see an answer to those questions is in the life of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. And at the end of his story, we will see Joseph come to understand that through all of his really great and awesome and really horrible and terrible life experiences, really, really good and really, really evil, we will see that Joseph understood that God was always with him present personally. And he was always moving, always progressing providentially. Now, you'll remember from last week, if you were here, got to listen online or through our podcast, that Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. And eventually, God came through. Delayed gratification, God fulfilled his promise. And their son's name was Isaac. And one of Isaac's children was Jacob. And one of Jacob's children was Joseph, whom we're going to look at today. Now, Jacob actually had 12 sons, okay? 12 sons. He had two by one wife, two by another. Actually, no, it's not true. He had a few by one wife, a few by the other, and a few by one handmaid, and a few by another handmaid. So the, the Old Testament is super shady. If you want to read about that story, it's really kind of crazy, okay? It makes Hulu look really tame, all right? Just really, really tame, right? So now, now Jacob, all those boys really love Joseph. Joseph was his favorite. I tell Abby Jane all the time, you're my favorite daughter. She's my only daughter, okay, to be clear. And she goes, well, you're my favorite daddy. And I said, well, I'm your only daddy. I guess it works out, right? That's it. So this, but this, Jacob looked at Joseph and he favored him. He was partial to him. He, Joseph, was Jacob's favorite son. It's kind of like when um, uh, the grandparents come over and they love the grandkids more than their kids who gave them the grandkids. Not that that's ever happened in my life, right? But, but, that's, but that's what's going on right here. And it's not good to be partial. Just to be clear, it's really not good to be partial at all. But that's what was going on. And Jacob did not hide his partiality toward Joseph from his other kids. He didn't at all. He's quite public with it. In fact, one time he gave them this coat of many, many colors. So it would have been really expensive. And by being brightly colored and having lots of colors all over it, and Joseph's walking around in it, nobody else has got one. It's super pretentious all the way around, right? It's expensive. It, it, it causes all kinds of division. And it cemented hate. And it cemented the envy. And it cemented the jealousy into the hearts of his brothers that they already had. It was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And these brothers hated Joseph because Joseph was getting from their father what they really wanted, his love and his affection and his attention. And they hated Joseph because of it. So with that in the background, Joseph, the chosen one, began to have all these dreams. And in the Old Testament, dreams were often understood as God speaking to you. And so when you had a dream, you would discuss it and you would talk about it because God was speaking and Joseph had two dreams. And in these, both of these dreams, all of it, the interpretation of these dreams is that all of his family members, his brothers who hated him and his father and his mother who were over an authority over him, all of them were bowing down to Joseph. They were venerating Joseph. They were submissive to Joseph. They were, they were under his 
authority. the, The dreams imply clearly that one day there would come a day where his brothers and his parents would submit to him, that he would rule over them. And you can imagine how this dream enraged everyone, but it especially enraged Joseph's brothers. So one day, all of Joseph's brothers were some ways away from home base with their flocks. Joseph was at home, but Jacob sent Joseph out to go look for them. So Jacob and Joseph, neither of them truly recognized the vitriol, the hate that the brothers had for Joseph. They had no idea how significant it really was. And so Joseph went out into the fields to look long, long, long way away, way away from home base to look for his brothers and to check on them and then to bring a report back to his father. But as he was coming, his brothers, they saw him coming and they begin to conspire to kill him and then throw his body into a pit. So they were going to kill him, throw his body in the pit, and they were going to tell their father that their, his precious favorite son had been attacked by a wild animal and eaten. And so by removing Joseph from their lives, maybe the brothers would finally get from their father what they had always wanted. That's how bad things had gotten. Now, Fortunately for these guys, and fortunately for Joseph, there was one brother there named Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn. Oh, praise God for firstborn children, right? They make all of us want to be parents of a secondborn because they're just so responsible. And so most of the time, most of the time, right? There's the, they always have a, a bit of a, a conscience, you know? And, um, and, and Reuben was that. He was the firstborn. And he said, hey, guys, hey, maybe this is not a good idea to kill somebody, Maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that. But Reuben was also smart enough and savvy enough to know that he wasn't going to convince easily the other 10 brothers in the circle that they shouldn't do this. So he came up with a, a plan and he said, hey guys, how about we just throw him in the pit alive and then we'll, we'll let him you know, starve and, and, and die according to the elements. And Reuben's plan was after they do that and they leave, he would come back rescue his brother and bring him back home under the protection of his father. And so Reuben persuaded them to do just that. So Joseph came and they said, what's up, bro? And then they threw him into a pit and they're going to let him die from exposure. They ripped off Joseph's coat and threw him into the pit, which is great. Now think about how evil this is because no sooner do they do that, they rip this coat off of him, they throw him in the pit. Then they say, let's have lunch. Like that's how disassociated they are from the life of their brother. They've, they've effectively left a man, they have, they've left their brother for dead and they're like, well, let's eat. All right, it's, it's like, it's like the, the, the lunch hour bell went off. And so they're sitting there having lunch. And as they're having lunch, a group of slave traders come by on the route. And that's when the, the bells go off and the brothers say, hey, you know what would be better than leaving him to die of exposure is selling him as a slave to these guys. And that way we never have to see him again. And so these Ishmaelite traders, they, they uh, take up Joseph and they pay for it to the brothers. They got some money and they got rid of their brother. Win-win. And they had lunch. It was great, right? So off Joseph, off, here's the scenario. Off Joseph goes, a slave Off the brothers go enriched and then they tell their father, your son has died. He was eaten by a wild animal. They've got blood of a goat on the coat that they've taken to make it look they've 
I mean, they have, they're fully in on this, on this lie, right? And jo- Jacob is completely broken. Jacob is completely broken. So we have lies. We have deception. We've got division. We have slavery. We have all kinds of evil, right? Now, I'll ask you a question. Where is the Lord? Where's the Lord when parents show partiality and favoritism? Where is the Lord when families are this dysfunctional? Where is the Lord when hatred and violence reign? You begin to see an answer to these kinds of questions in Genesis 39. Look at verses one through five with me. This is from the the New Living Translation, okay? When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Let's keep going. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. Now there's a whole lot there to unpack, but the primary thing that I want you to see is that God is personally present in Joseph's life. He's been left for dead. He's been sold as a slavery. He's working for the king of Egypt, this enemy state. And yet the text says three times, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was blessing Joseph and those that were around him. So the storyteller of Genesis understands something that Joseph may or may not understand. At this stage, it's that God is present personally in the life of Joseph. And his presence is having a positive impact on him and all of those who are directly connected to him. This positivity is manifesting itself in prosperity. And that's not always the case. God's presence in your life is always positive, even if it's not leading to prosperity by however means you would define it. But it's always positive. In fact, if we keep reading Joseph's story, you can see that positivity doesn't always equate to prosperity because no sooner does does Joseph gain all this power and gain all this influence and gain all this trust in the Potiphar household than does he get himself in a whole heap of trouble. Because as it turns out, Joseph is pretty fat. P-H-A-T. Pretty hot and tempting. That's what the text says. Actually, the Hebrew says he's very handsome and well-built, which sounds pretty hot, right? And Potiphar's wife was way more interested in this Hebrew goddess working around her house than she was in the fidelity with her own husband. And she pursued him and pursued him and sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. I can say all this in the young adult service. Sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. Would you please sleep with me? He kept saying, no. Do you know who you're married to? Do you see how well things are going here? Besides the fact, do you not believe in God? There would be a sin against him, right? And she says, 
no, I don't care. I just want you. And Joseph pushes and he resists and he pushes and resists and he resists so much that she finally has him framed and put in jail as punishment for him not sleeping with her. So do you see how faithfulness and the presence of God is always positive, but is not always prosperous, right? So where is God when you are unjustly accused? Where is God when you get punished for doing right? Where is God when the people who are evil are the ones who thrive and succeed? So look what happened to Joseph when he got into jail. Chapter 39, verses 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. And he showed him his faithful love. What if, what if this had to happen to you for you to know this? The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, folks, think about Joseph's journey to this point, right? Because his life began so awesome. It was so awesome. He's the privileged son of a direct ancestor in God's promised line of people. He had dreams of being venerated by his parents and by his brothers. And then he was left for dead. Then he was a slave. Now he's a prisoner, a slave in jail. Like, and nevertheless, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, right? The Lord was personally present when all of those things were happening. You got to fast forward through a lot of details, but in the same way that Joseph went from in a pit to die to running Potiphar's house, Joseph went from left in prison to die to running all of Egypt, okay? All of Egypt. He got a wife, he got a palace, and at 30 years old, 30 years old, he took charge of Egypt under Pharaoh, leading Egypt through a food collection process that would rescue them and all the nearby peoples when a famine would inevitably become. A famine that was given to Pharaoh through a dream, but Pharaoh couldn't interpret it, but Joseph could and Joseph did. And so that's what God used to put him into this position. And one of those nearby people groups One of those groups of people who would need grain in this famine was none other than Joseph's brothers and his father, Jacob, right? So when the famine struck 
and Jacob and his other sons were running out of food. The sons were sent to Egypt to buy grain so that they could survive. And who is it that's in charge of all this grain? Who is it that's, that's led the entire nation to be ready for this famine? It's none other than their brother that they set out to destroy. Can you imagine the fear that gripped their brothers when they got there and recognized, oh my goodness, can you look who's in charge of the grain? It's the guy we tried to kill, the one that we hated. You remember all those dreams years ago by Joseph? The dreams where his parents bow down, the dreams where his brothers bow down to him because of his authority. Those dreams in this moment in Genesis, in this moment, they came to be realized because as we now see, the Lord wasn't just personally present in Joseph's life, but he was also progressing providentially throughout Joseph's life. He wasn't just with him, not orchestrating things. He was orchestrating all the things and he was with him at the same time. Joseph recognized when his brother showed up that the dreams he had had, that the dreams God had given him were coming true right there in the moment. And Joseph realized right there in the moment that God had been not just present personally, but had been progressing providentially. He'd been moving in such a way that made even the most heinous acts of evil as a pawn in God's sovereignty sovereign hand to do what he wanted to do. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God was not just present personally, comforting him, blessing him, having a positive impact on all the things that he was suffering, but he was also orchestrating weather patterns. He was also orchestrating, you know, geopolitical relationships. He was also orchestrating the, the dysfunction of multiple things. He was orchestrating all that to bring things to this moment. And he opened the eyes of Joseph to see, I've been with you personally and I've been progressing providentially in all these things in your life. Wow. I began this message with a rhetorical question. How would your attitude or your outlook on life change if we truly believed, if we truly believed that God was always present personally and progressing providentially? Well, there's this amazing interaction between Joseph and his brothers at the end of Genesis that gives us some insight into how our lives change when we realized this, because there was simply no way that Joseph could deny that God was present personally. It was just no way that Joseph could deny that God had been progressing providentially, orchestrating all these things to be a part of his life. So I want you to look at Genesis 50 verses 19 to 21 and see the incredible things that we learn about how we live in light of this reality. Joseph replied to his brothers, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position. He, God, brought me to this position through what path? So that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So how did Joseph's 
attitude and outlook on his life, had his behavior change, when he knew that God was personally present with him through all that he'd experienced, when he knew that God was progressing providentially through all of his circumstances, he changed life, changed in four ways. Number one, no fear. No fear. He says in verse 19, have no fear. He says in verse 21, do not be afraid. Have no fear. Do not be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, when you know that you are personally present with God, when he's with you personally, very present, and when you know that he's orchestrating all events, what in the world are you going to face that is terrifying? What deserves raw fear if you know that he is orchestrating all these things for his glory and your good? What is there to fear if he is with you? There is no place for fear in the life of a Christian who knows that God is with them all the time and that God is providentially progressing. He's working in such a way and all the things that whatever you're experiencing is a part of a plan that he has in store. There is no place for fear, says Joseph. Number two, leave justice for God. You can see this in verse 19. Joseph says, don't just be afraid, but did you notice he said, am I God that I could punish you? You know what's funny about that? is he was basically God from an Egyptian standpoint, right? Pharaoh is divine. What he says is true. What he says goes. Everybody worshiped him as if he was a divine leader. And he acts fully, fully on authority. He is God-light. He is, he's, like, he's like a part of the Egyptian trinity in his position. Joseph can do, he speaks, they could die. He is sitting in the place of justice. But because Joseph knew that the one true God was with him personally, and because he knew the one true God had orchestrated things that Pharaoh could have never dreamed of, instead of acting with justice that, let's be honest, his brothers deserved, he didn't do it. He didn't act according to the position that he had and he did not act against the brothers even though they deserved it because he knew God was with him and he knew God was using it for something that was bigger than himself. And so he could leave the justice, whatever his brothers may deserve, whatever God wants to do with them is fine with me. I accept I am not God. I do not need to act as if I am. I do not need to take justice up in my own hands. I can leave it to them. Now that is liberating. When you experience injustice and you want nothing more than to waylay somebody and get them back for all the harm that they did to you, but you know that somehow, some way, you don't understand it, but somehow, some way, God was with you when that was happening and God is going to use that in some way providentially. When you know that, when you believe that, you don't need to be the one who executes justice. You can leave that to God, which is really just a way of you saying, I forgive you. I forgive you for hurting me. And I don't like it. It hurt. I'm going to have to pay this debt a lot. I may have to forgive you a lot in my heart. But let me tell you something. God is using whatever you did to me to work out something good. I may or may not ever see it, but he's, I believe it. I believe that he's providential. I believe that he was with me in a minute. And because of that, no justice. For me, I'll leave it to the Lord. Number three, you can proclaim God's presence and his providence. You can proclaim this truth. That's exactly what Joseph does in verse 20. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see, Joseph wants his brothers to understand something theological. 
He wants his brothers to understand that the reason he's behaving why he's behaving, the reason he believes what he believes, the reason he is treating them the way he's treating them is because he believes these things to be true about God. And he wants them to know what's true about God. He wants them to know what his motive is. He wants them to know what his worldview is. He wants them to know where he's coming from. He wants them to know something about God, that he is present and that he's providential. In verse 21, we can lean into mercy. Do you notice that's what Joseph does? He says, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. All those nieces and nephews. And he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. When you know that God is with you and you know that he is providential over all of your circumstances, it equips you and empowers you to lean into mercy in your relationships with other people. Because you, you can sympathize. You can even empathize in some cases. And, you can, and, and one of the best ways to lean into mercy and to relationship with other people is to proclaim the presence and the providence of God. What's more comforting than that? Fear, justice, proclamation, mercy, these are things that remind me an awful lot about Jesus. Because when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he had constant communion with his father. He knew that God was present with him personally. Jesus knew everything that he experienced was within God's sovereign and providential will. And because God was with him and because God was providentially working and Jesus knew this, he knew his life was defined, was to be defined by mercy and forgiveness. And he left justice up to God, even though that meant paying the price for sin that he never committed. In other words, Satan, the Jews, and the Romans, they meant the cross for evil. But Jesus knew that God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And when you know, as Jesus did, that God is present personally and progressing providentially for his glory and your good, then you can, without fear, live a life of mercy and forgiveness and you can proclaim these marvelous truths about God and you can leave justice up to him. And as your pastor, I've gotten to see this so many times this week. I had like nine things that I could share with you. I was in a, visiting one of our senior adults who's gone from independent lending to assisted living, which is a very humbling thing to go through because you know, like you just know what that, you know what that means. And if you could have seen the smile on her face and you could have heard the faith and the proclamation of trust in her, she had just the most amazing attitude through the thing. It was absolutely remarkable. I had lunch with a friend who is in the mortgage business. Like, it's really hard to be in the mortgage business in the last couple of years. Like, business is down 35% and he could not be more grateful. He could not be more happy. He could not be more trusting because he's seen God do things that he would have never gotten to see God do if he hadn't been in a rough spot in his business. And he had this joy and this trust and this growth. It was absolutely remarkable. I've been in the hospital holding the hand of an old saint who's fighting like a colonel and he knows that the Lord is going before him. And so he doesn't need to be afraid because God is with him personally and he is progressing providentially. 
So I don't know whatever's going on in your life. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know, but I can promise you this. He is with you and he is working for your good. He is always present personally. And he is always progressing providentially. 